Thanks, Dylan. Along with everyone else who has already said it, what a joy to be with you in worship. My name is Dee. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to jump into that passage in just a few moments. Um, before I do, nobody has made mention of all of the children's books that are surrounding this place. This just happens to be part of my collection that I brought with me this morning since it's Church Family Month. And I thought that there might be someone who just needed something to occupy their time other than what it was I was talking about. So I just put them out, and you can get up and go grab one anytime you want to. I should have had that said at the beginning of the service, but you can do it right in the middle of a message. So I even put them off to the side so it won't be as obvious if that's where you want to go. I mean, if you've never read The Math Curse, what a fantastic book that is. And After the Fall, oh my goodness, that's my newest addition to the collection is The Land of And, which is on the far left side of that bench. When the Crayons Quit, oh man, that's a scary day. That's over there if you want to take a look at that one. And who doesn't love the um, paper bag princess? Seriously, which one looks good to you? One of them does, doesn't it? Which one? Can I recommend Miss Spider's Tea Party? That's a wonderful one. Do you want to take this one with you? Back to your seat. There you go. Fantastic. I have the feeling that there are some adults as well who are longing to have one of these for the service. Just get up and grab it. It is okay. Dear Mr. Blueberry, unbelievable. And if you want to go back years ago to your upbringing for those who are my age and older, the complete anthology of Dick and Jane, look, look, oh, look. That's right there. You're welcome. Fantastic. Nice, nice, nice. So... Man, I love this. Just leave them at your seat when you're done. I would like to have them back. These are not permanent <laughs> gifts. At least that's not the intent. If that happens, you know, it's just fine. But you can leave them right where you're at if you want to. So uh, anyway, and by the way, the hardest one to get to, but probably the best author up here, Nancy Tillman, she's back there in the center. It's a wonderful one as well. So have at it through the course of this morning. Um, I want to um, say a few words about where I was last week, because I was gone last Sunday. Some of you know that. Some of you are guests this morning, and you really don't care about that. But I was gone last Sunday, and I just wanted to say thanks to a wonderful church and incredible staff that makes it possible for me to leave, as well as to have such joy about coming back. What a marvelous combination to feel the freedom to rest and renew, uh, but also to feel the joy of coming back to this place. It feels marvelous. Well, often when I um, kind of take a break, I um, really do the rest and renewal kind of stuff. And a picture that represents that for me is not from this past week, but is typical of what I enjoy doing very often, and that is just sit by a lake or a body of water and relax. Now, you may think, what in the world does this have to do with Hebrews 11 and 12? We're getting to that. For those of you that have been here um, many times, you know that it takes me a little while to meander toward where we're going, but we will get there. This was not my break. Um, my break actually started a week ago Tuesday on my birthday, and I spent a good portion of that day with uh, my daughters. The first portion of that was with my oldest. We took several laps around Dog Park on Fiesta Island. 
And uh, that didn't see, and we actually had dogs with us. It wasn't just going there and walking. We walked some dogs as well. And then the second half of the day, it didn't feel like it was quite enough exercise. And so I went kayaking with my youngest in the uh, San Diego Bay. And what a joy that was. We paddled it a little bit. We talked a lot. We paddled a little bit more. We talked some more. Just a very enjoyable way. I share a birthday with my youngest. We are both uh, August 6th birthday buddies. And um, that's true for my grandfather as well. So three out of four generations on that same day. Wow, I know, unbelievable. Write that down in your notes because that's a really big deal. I have no idea why I said that. Okay. I then left and um, joined up with some friends in Colorado and then ultimately Utah for a wonderful adventure. I probably should not have tried to pack quite so long of a trip into my one-day journey to Ure, Colorado because I didn't arrive until 3 in the morning. It's a long day on Wednesday to drive that distance. I, when I got tired, pulled off to the side and slept. I wasn't trying to be foolish in my driving. But the discouraging part was that when I got there, I realized that my friend had given me the address and the code to get in the door, but he didn't tell me that it was a condo complex and I needed to know the unit number. And 40 miles prior, I had lost all cell phone service, so I couldn't text, call, or start knocking in doors at 3 in the morning. So crawled in the back seat. Fell asleep for four hours, woke up and saw my friend getting into his truck. So I met up with my friends at 7.30. They had no mercy on me. They said, you ready to go? I, I, I was exhausted, but you bet. Now, you may not know this, but in Colorado this last winter, they had 60 feet of snow. Only about 40 feet of it has melted in some areas. This is where we did some four-wheeling in between some huge walls of snow. And there were some very significant avalanches, whole sides of hillsides, mountainsides. All of the trees were just laid flat. And you can't see it very well, but there are spots in the snow where huge trunks are sticking right out about 10 to 15 feet above your head where the avalanche just uprooted them and carried them down the hillside and covered the pathway. Tractors have gone through and cleared out some of it so that we had an opportunity to ride through. It was uh, pretty amazing. And then there's nothing quite like four-wheeling at 12,000 feet. It's a different kind of a feel. It is um, up there where the oxygen is a little bit less, but the views and the colors are just spectacular. We then, within one day, went to a very different climate, a little less than 200 miles away. We drove to uh, Moab, Utah. And there, where the Colorado River has cut out the huge pathways and created just an amazing um, vista and landscape where the weather conditions over centuries, millennia, have created vistas and outcrops of rocks where other dirt has been washed away or weathered away, but these 
huge formations that just seem to appear out of nowhere as you're traveling along. So we go from avalanche and snow to 100 degree heat in the desert of Moab, just across from Arches National Park, climbing these kinds of places and uh, enjoying the scenery. Now, it certainly was not an isolated moment, but when you have a chance to be in places like this, it generates some thoughts, different for different people, but I just wanted to share a couple thoughts that came to the surface for me, and they really tie in powerfully to this passage of Scripture. You see, I, when I look and observe pictures like this and scenes of huge formations of rock where the tectonic plates just kind of overlapped and, and something under the earth just pokes forth 2,000 feet or more into the air where over time the earth, as if it's alive, produces things that are easy to miss, but when you realize that the world in many ways is on a very different timetable than you and I often are on. I, I find myself very often living in a world of sometimes weeks as I plan or months maybe, but more often I live in a world of hours thinking through what happens right after church service and then something going on in the afternoon and then thinking through this evening and maybe tomorrow morning. There are times on a Sunday morning where I'm not thinking in hours at all. I'm thinking in minutes. At 8.45, I'm racing through all the things that have to get done and have they all been accomplished and what needs to get done in the next 15 minutes until the time is ticking away and it embarks on 9 o'clock or in this service, 10.30. And the minutes drive my thinking, they drive my actions, they drive almost my identity in that time span. I look at this and I realize that there are different time frames. The time that it takes for a forest to form, the time that it takes for a tree to grow, the time that it takes for the Colorado River that you can see in the far right hand center of the picture that's about a thousand feet down from this outcropping of rocks to carve out this valley. It's a very, very different time frame. Now, on the one hand, this can pose for me a, a feeling of insignificance, that somehow I, I just showed up on the scene and my life is relatively brief and short, but it's not as if God ignores these short, brief moments we call a lifespan. But what's powerful is that we're part of a storyline that is so much bigger. A, a timeline that's been going on for so long. a creation and a creator that holds these multiple time frames in harmony. 
This passage in Hebrews 11 speaks about this incredible cloud of witnesses. It is, it is a description of so many who have gone before and that we fall in this line that is simply a new chapter of a familiar story, a new paragraph of a familiar theme. So I see this and I go, oh my goodness, I have a little bit of insignificance when I think of the enormity and vastness of God's creation, God's work, God's embrace. But I also see the importance of recognizing this bigger storyline and asking myself, how do I fit into this? My cloud of witnesses is probably a little bit different than Hebrews 11 and the message in Hebrews 12. I had the good fortune, and I know it's not true of everybody here, and everybody has their own journey and story. We are so unique. I had the good fortune of going to church as a little kid, and my parents took me, and we were there very often. And many of the stories and names that I hear about in Hebrews 11 I started learning before I learned their significance of Moses and Abraham and Sarah. And I heard about the Jericho story and I paid attention to the story of the three boys that were challenged to give up their faith or they'd be thrown into a, a furnace. I, I remember hearing about Rahab and Samson and Enoch and And my journey allowed me to begin to pick up on some of these stories long before some others who didn't have that opportunity. But I have to confess, I don't think I was the ideal student by any means. I certainly was not um, the perfect child. I'm not sure that Sunday school teachers were thrilled when they saw me walk in the door. I was far more interested in the games that were about to be played than any story that was going to be told. And if the teacher hadn't come up with a great game to be played, then I was going to make up my own games and try and draw in the others that were sitting around me to join in those games. I would sit in church wherever my parents designated me to sit, and they were kind enough and understanding enough of my energy to let me play those games as long as I did my best to stay quiet. And so... One of the things that I would often do in church, I'd get a blank sheet of paper and I had a pen and I'd create mazes. I'd create so many different mazes. If I had a friend that was seated beside me, I'd build a maze on a piece of paper. I'd take the square and at one corner I'd put beginning and at the other corner I'd put end and I'd start adding lines and dead ends and um, misdirections and try and send him in all kinds of obvious things that would frustrate him and have only one singular pathway to get through my amazing maze that I would try and create. And my hope was that he couldn't figure it out before the pastor finished his sermon. That was my goal. Sometimes that means that I wouldn't give it to him until it was near the end of the hour. But I would make these endlessly. One of my favorite activities, but sometimes it just 
seemed a little too labor-intensive, and we'd embark on something else, like a game of hangman, which was wonderful. It is an absolutely horrific name for a game that is so innocent, but it's so simple, you just draw a little symbol and a whole bunch of dashed lines and ask the person to start offering letters. And of course, you know that's Nazarene, I think is where that's going, but you were almost there, almost. It was not an easy word as a kid to figure out, to put that up there. But you could play this game endlessly. Uh, probably a far um, more enjoyable game, though, was Battleship, long before the game Battleship came out in any kind of uh, box game form. We used to make our diagram and fill out where the aircraft carriers and the battleships and the PT cruisers were. Now, you couldn't call out B6 in the middle of a service. That would be incredibly disruptive, and my parents wouldn't be very pleased, so you'd write it on a piece of paper, show it to the guy beside you, hit, you know, and you But you couldn't do that noise either. You just kind of had to do the hand motions. But again, this carried on for endless services. There were some that were activities that were far more constructive, crafty-oriented. I'm not sure why I would jump into this one. It wasn't one of my favorite things to do. But back in the day when gum wrappers were common, you could fold gum wrappers up and create a chain out of them bracelet, necklace, just a long thing that you could measure things with, but you had to be very skilled at folding it just right and creating this thing. And then the ultimate was a dollar ring. If you could grab a dollar bill from somebody and fold it just right, you could create this dollar ring and then it was like bling you could wear everywhere in church. And people knew not only that you were cool for being able to fold this, but a dollar? I mean, come on. So, these were the things that occupied time, but didn't occupy heart space, in that while all of this stuff was going on, I can tell you right where Brother Vogel was sitting, four rows back to the left of the pastor, who because of some scripture reference or prayer that touched his heart, he just couldn't hold it any longer. And he'd stand up, he'd wave his hand, and he'd just praise God right in the middle of the service. I, I can remember Monty Lobb and where he would sit. And his kindness to me as an adult seeking me out after church and asking me how my Little League baseball game went. I remember Bill Bray and his dad, two generations older than me, teaching me how to catch a hard throw of a pitcher who could not only throw a lot faster than I could, but could throw curveballs and how to be ready for them. I remember Miss Jean who loved the Spanish language. And she just wondered if there might be some kids in central Ohio who might want to learn Spanish because it certainly wasn't taught in the schools. And I'd sit in a classroom 
with Miss Jean as she used, of all things, a French song to teach us Spanish, Ferrajaca. But I learned it in Spanish. It was the first Spanish lesson I ever heard. I'm not even sure it's correct, but this is what I remember. Fray Felipe, Fray Felipe, duermes tu, duermes tu, toca la campana, toca la campana, dun, 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 dun. That was my first Spanish lesson. More than the song, I remember a lady who stood in front of us and just cared for a group of grade school kids and wanted to tell us not only her passion for Spanish, but why she taught her love for God and her love for people. Wow. That kind of sounds like the greatest commandments. Love God and love others. I was Miss Jean. Mrs. Jeannie Phillips, she taught caravans. I remember she encouraged me to memorize scripture. I remember when I earned my little badge from Jeannie Phillips on behalf of the caravan program. In all that ways, acknowledge the Lord and the Lord will direct your paths, Proverbs 3, 6. I still remember the verse, but I have to say what I remember is someone who gave witness to my life and gave witness to God's story in her life. The cloud of witnesses in my journey I can do the same thing that the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 11 did, go through and talk about Samson and Jepheth and, and what happened when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and, and, and Rahab, the one who hid the spies, and the list goes on and on for that group of people. And, and in some ways, that's part of my story because it's part of this history of faith. Faith that takes a step of action that's not really dependent upon the outcome of that action, but is dependent on the belief that God is leading. One of my favorites in this storyline, the characters are not mentioned by name, but they are the ones who were threatened to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I recall someone in my journey, a gentleman, who knew I was struggling trying to remember the names of these three, but I wanted to remember their names. And maybe this is how you learn them as well, but maybe not. He said, oh, just remember, shake the bed, make the bed, and to bed you go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I've never forgotten that, but I've also never forgotten somebody who would try and make the journey fun, hopeful, alive, and gave witness to my life and witness to what God was doing in a story that was bigger than me. This passage in Hebrews 12.1 says, Since 
Therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run with perseverance. This race that's been set out before us. Let's put aside all of those things that slow us down, that keep us from doing that. Let's join in the stadium, which is the imagery here, like an Olympic stadium, cheering on those who are working to cross the finish line. It is a cloud of witnesses that includes people who have gone before us, but includes people in our life right now. But it also includes God's amazing creation. There's this beautiful place out in the desert of Moab where it is just as if someone underneath the ground had just punched their fist up from underneath and these enormous rock formations side by side in the middle of a flat land poke their way through. And in poking their way through, they're simply described as the two monuments. You can see them from so far off. You drive these dusty, sandy roads until finally you arrive in this broad open space that's between both of them. You stop and you are in the shadow of these things that go up a thousand feet above your head. And it is as if they are giving witness to you being there in that moment. God's creation gives witness both to God's work and to your life. What is the opportunity we have? The opportunity is to receive that cloud of witnesses that spurs us on. You see, faith has a very practical action component to it. It's belief with a step. It's, it's not like watching or reading a book about what the dance step is. It's taking the risk to actually move and step into that. In faith, believing that that eventually will produce something, will train you in some fashion, will get you closer to the movement of the melody that God has been singing. It's not simply watching everybody else, but it's seeing the witnesses that are around you and going, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to step into this moment because I see in front of me a need. It is the essence of what inspires compassionate action. That's faith. You don't know the outcome. We come to church on a Sunday morning. You don't know what's going to happen. You hope that somebody's prepared. You long that maybe you might experience something that feels like God's spirit or a friendly handshake or somebody that encourages you, but you don't know that's going to happen. You showed up. That's an action with faith. We give of some of our resources, either in volunteer efforts or as the offering plate passes. Uncertain, at least at some level, of what's going to happen as I contribute to what's going on in this place. I don't know what the outcome will be. There is a faith element to that, not because you believe that what the church is doing is good, but because you've taken action. You've stepped into it. That belief with action is this moment of faith. 
And with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were challenged along this line, give up that belief or you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Their response was amazing to me. It's my favorite part of their whole story. It's one of my favorite parts of the entire Hebrews 11 um, telling of heroes, though it doesn't give this part. You have to go back to the Old Testament to find it. The response is this. We believe in God. And God can protect us from the flames. But if God doesn't, God's still God. Faith is saying that the outcome of my actions doesn't determine my belief. I've taken the action because of what I believe. And it leads me into places that I've not been before in many cases or that I've been before, the outcome wasn't exactly like I thought it was going to be, but in faith, I step into that place again. It is what leads to encouragement. It is the foundation stone for hope. It is becoming somebody else's cloud of witness. Could it be that you could be in somebody else's Hebrews 11 list? Yes. Is that not what we long for within the context of the church? We're so blessed to have a team with us from PLNU. Thanks for coming this morning. What an opportunity to be in a place among a group of like-minded, purposeful individuals who have goals set out before them that you can be somebody else's cloud of witness, cloud of encouragement, those who help somebody take a step they've not taken before, try something they've not tried before, put forth an effort that's beyond what they thought they were capable of because they're surrounded by a group of people who speaks into their life and encourages them in that way. That's what a community of faith is. So not only do we throw off those things that hold us back, that discourage us, that keep us from stepping into that next movement that God calls us, but we likewise become the great cloud of witnesses for somebody else. In that way, we step into a storyline that's larger than my lifespan that's far bigger than a singular snow avalanche from this year. It goes back generations upon generations, centuries upon centuries, a storyline that has produced people that when I look at them, I go, oh God, would it be possible that my faith would give me the kind of perspective they have. Thank you, Lord, for Miss Jean, for Mrs. Phillips, for Mani Lab, for hundreds of people in this congregation who have been part of that cloud of witnesses in my life. Thank you. Lord, help me to live that kind of way.
so that others have a taste of faith. They catch the aroma of grace. They breathe in the sweet, pure smell of a story that spans generations, that turns the world upside down for good. You have the chance to be part of that storyline. Thanks be to God. Father, I praise your wonderful name. Much like the picture that's been on the screen.